So today we're going to learn a Sicha from the Rebbe talk on this week's Parsha Vayishlach. It's the uh, first Sicha in volume 20 of the set of Lakuti Sichas. Today we're going to analyze a very interesting uh, discussion on the subject of one of our earliest people who hated with a passion. We use the words that he hated to the point that he wanted to kill Jacob, which becomes the symbolism of those that want to kill and hate Jacob, the Jewish people, and how deep is embedded this level of anti-Semitism, of hating another Jew. This is the discussion we're going to learn today. It's quite uh, apropos to these days, uh, what's going on in the world. And we'll have some amazing insight of, of whether there's hope and not hope. So first, let's bring us into the context of what this is going to be based on. So we had in last week's Parsha that Jacob managed to get the blessing from his father, Yitzchak, from Isaac. And this was like a, a, a blessing that he got in disguise because his brother Esav, who was the biological older brother, thought that he would get the blessing. And when he finds out that his younger brother, Jacob gets the blessing. He's completely mad at the whole story and he wants to kill his brother. And for this, Jacob has to run for his life. And Jacob leaves town for over 20 years. And according to some opinions, even more. And finally, it's time for him to come back and meet his family. Now, Jacob himself is not sure anymore if his brother is still angry at him that he wants to kill him. He doesn't know. Jacob lived in a different place. There was no social media those days. It wasn't easy to find out. Does my brother still want to kill me? This was his dilemma that he didn't know. Is it safe to return, to return home or not? I want to remind you of a story that was brought down in last week's Parsha that Rashi brought it down from the Medrash and the Talmud. The story where Jacob, while he was traveling and he was going to find, look for a wife and the sages teach us that when he came to Lavan to, to, and he came empty-handed, he didn't have a single penny on him, no gold, no silver, no, no jewelry. And it's not a good way to start off trying to date a girl and convince somebody to let you date their girls if you're coming empty-handed. And especially in this family, they already knew that when Abraham sent his servant Eliezer, to go find a shidduch for his son Yitzchak, he sent him with lots of jewelry and money. And here, Yaakov was coming empty-handed. So the sages filled in what happened here. Esav, his older son, his name was Eliphaz, and Eliphaz was sent and dispatched by Esav to catch up to Jacob on his traveling and catch him, catch up to him and kill him. This is a lot of trauma trauma on a person that your brother's son wants to kill you. And he says, I must kill you and I have to honor my father and fulfill his wish that I kill you. And Jacob said to him, listen here, let's, let's, let's make this simple. He says, I have a lot of 
money on me. I have a lot of gold and silver. I have diamonds. I have jewelry. Why don't I give you everything I have on me? You could strip me completely from all the values that are valuables that I have. And we know that there's a rule that a person who's completely poor is considered to be a dead man. So just take all my stuff and I'll be a dead man. Eliphaz was very happy. He was able to go report back to Asav that when he has all this money and he's considered to be as if he's dead. So you could imagine that Jacob is walking around with this feeling all these years that his brother completely wants to kill him. In today's Parsha we have where they're going to meet each other. And Jacob sends messages and what does he ultimately, in short, the story is that is he finds out that his brother is coming with 400 men and Jacob comes close and he can see his brother the first time in all these years and he sees that his brother has an army of 400 people there. What does he do? He takes his Leah's children and gives them to Leah and he puts Rachel's children, and he puts them. He puts them with the, with the, uh, uh, with the, their children and the two maidservants. And he makes an order of how they all should should go. He first puts the maidservants and their kids. Then he puts Leah and her kids, and then he puts Rachel and Joseph in the back. The commentaries tell us because he was scared for Asaph to get and lay his eyes on Rachel and uh, how beautiful she was. And he walks in front of the entire family. He doesn't walk behind everybody as a scary cat. He goes in the front of everybody. And Jacob bows four, seven times in his steps coming close to his brother. He bows down seven times until he reaches his brother. When he gets so close to his brother, Asaph starts running to him. And he greets him and he gives him a big hug. Vayichabkehu. He gives him a big hug. Vayipel al Savarov. And he falls on his neck. Vayishakehu. And he gives him a kiss. Vayifku. And then he starts to cry. He gets all emotional. And Ace of cries. Now. It's a fascinating thing when you look into the Parsha and as we know, and we have been stressing this many times when we learn together, that every word, every letter in the Torah is precise. And not just every letter, but every time there's dots in the Torah is precise. And if you were to look online, you would be able to do a a, a search and you could find that if you would look if you, would, if you look the way the Torah appears from an actual Torah scroll, you would see that on the words, Vayishakehu, and he gave him a kiss, you're going to see a fascinating thing. You're going to see that, that the, on the words, and he gave him a kiss, you could find that there's dots on top of the word, little bullets on the word Vayishakehu, and he gave him a kiss in the Torah scroll. Every Torah scroll around the world, you'll see Vayishakehu has his dots on it. Now, what we have to try to understand is why in the world is there dots there? What are the dots on top of that word and he gave him a kiss signify? 
So this is what we're going to learn today about those dots. And these dots are going to give us the clue to the depth about this hatred relationship. But there was here an interesting time of meeting where Esav hugs him and kisses him. So on these words that Esav runs to him, to greet him, and he hugs him, and he falls on his neck, and he kisses him and cries, Rashi says the following. On the word, Vayichabkehu, and he hugged him, Rashi says that a moment of mercy aroused in Asaph when he saw his brother bowing down so many times. And that's the explanation of why he gave him a hug. Even though Asaph hated him and wanted to ha- kill him, nevertheless, he had a, because he saw all these bowings of Jacob, it aroused a mercy. Then Rashi has a separate heading on the word Vayashakehu, and he gave him a kiss. And Rashi says the following, that there are dots on top of that word. Why are there these dots? Says Rashi, V'yesh cholkin b'davar hazeh. There is various opinions about this. Brought down in the Sifri. The Sifri is the collection of all the Mishnahs that were found later, later times, that most of them are printed in the Talmud. So he brings down, over there, the Sifri brings down two different opinions regarding why there are dots on the word when Esav kissed him. Some say that those dots are there to tell you, don't think that this kiss was a true kiss. Like we would use the words, a kiss where you really, really love somebody, you give them a kiss. Nah, not happening, not here. Not for Esav. The dots are coming to decrease in the word, to tell you that this word is not at its full literal meaning, but it's there to tell you that there was less in the meaning. Meaning, he did not kiss him with his entire heart. That's one opinion. The second opinion is Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai, or known as the Rashbi, the one, the famous one who we celebrate Lagba Omer on the day of his passing. He asked it to be a day of Simcha. We're going to find out about him a little bit later on with his issues with the Romans. So Rabbi Shimon Ba'yichai, he's the one that authored the Zohar. He says like this, Halachahi, it is a knowing fact. It's a fact. Halacha means it's like the law. It's a law. It's an established principle. That Esav hates Jacob. I, how is it possible here? If it's a halacha, if it's an established rule that Esav hates him, how is it possible here that Esav gave him a kiss? What happened was mercy. Compassion warmed up on him when he actually saw his brother and all that bowing at that moment, and therefore he gave him a kiss wholehearted. 
So you, if you think about this, you have two opposite opinions. One is saying the dots are telling you that he did not kiss him with all, the, all his heart. And the second opinion is saying is that no, usually you're right, he's an absolute hater. But here at this moment, he had the right feeling and he gave him a kiss with his whole heart. So summarize, one opinion, he did not kiss him with his whole heart. The other opinion is that he did kiss him with his whole heart. So now we have to understand some things. Why does Rashi, first of all, why does Rashi explain the word Vayichabkeu and he gave him a hug? Like the second opinion. And Rashi does not say that on the word hug, like the first opinion, which is that he did not do it with a full heart. Rashi said on the word hug that he gave him a hug because he had his passion rose up now on the word hug. Rashi doesn't say the second opinion that it was, which is really the first of the, from the second word of the kiss, that it was not with a full heart. Why, doesn't he, why does he not say both opinions on that word too? It's definitely challenging if you want to say that Rashi relies, well, in a, just another moment, I'm going to explain to you the words, and he gave him a kiss. And over there, I'm going to tell you that he didn't kiss him with his whole heart. Therefore, you could think that even on the word, and he hugged him, wasn't with a full heart. Because in Vayashikeu, in the word, and he kissed him, there's a special indication about that he didn't kiss him with a full heart. Because as we showed you and we said, there were dots on it. Once there's dots on the word, on that word, Vayashikeu, that means over there, he didn't kiss him with a full heart. You could easily interpret like that, he didn't kiss him with a full heart, because it actually has dots on top of that word. So Rashi should have translated on the word and he gave him a hug also like the other opinion that it was not with a full heart. Those are, that's our first question. Another thing we have to understand, in the heading of the word, every Rashi, Rashi takes the words of a verse or more than one word sometimes and then he puts it in a heading and then he explains what he wants to explain. So in this heading, on the word, and he gave him a kiss, why does Rashi have to tell us two opinions? In other words, we already learned this principle many times, the Rebbe pointed this out, that if Rashi tells you two opinions, there's got to be a reason. Otherwise, it could have sufficed with one. Why did he have to tell us two opinions? Number one. Number two on this, on this heading of, and he gave him a kiss. Rashi started with an introduction. He said, There are those that argue about this. That means that Rashi's telling you that my following two opinions that I'm going to bring to you really are equal in terms of helping you to understand the literal text of the Chumash. Because that's Rashi's function. Rashi always says, my job is to help a regular learner to understand the literal meaning of the Torah. I'm not here to tell you the homiletical stuff, the Medrash, the Kabbalah. That's not why I'm here. Rashi always tell, reminds us this. That my job is to tell you what's called Pshuto Shomikra, the simple understanding of the verse. That means, normally when Rashi wants to bring two opinions, he says, here's one opinion, and there's another author that has another opinion. But over here, when he says that 
an introduction with these words that there's different opinions about this, that means he's trying to tell you that they both help you to understand the literal text of the verse. If so, in this case, when it says, some say that the dots mean that he did not kiss him full-heartedly, that actually fits very well with the literal understanding of why there's dots. Because we know that when there's dots, when you see dots, the dots usually mean that it decreases of the strength of the word itself. You're taking away a little bit of the strength. That's why there's dots. Your dots are there to soften the word. That if the word says, and he kissed him, soften it a bit to understand he did kiss him, but it wasn't with a full heart. That's what the dots are there for. And like we know, other places in the Torah where we have dots, there's a number of places where there are dots on top of a letter. And it's not just a printing error. It actually means something. So the dots are usually there to teach you that you soften the word by having the dots. But according to the Rashbi, it's totally not understood. Because why do you have dots there? The Rashbi said he did kiss him with a full heart. So according to the Rashbi that it was with a full heart, why do I need to have the dots? That is the meaning and he gave him a kiss. What are the dots there to tell you? So there are some commentaries that say that this alone, that Rashbi has a, an opinion and an introduction, he said, he said, halakhahi, <clears throat> he said, it's a known halakha, it's a known law that it's famous, that Esav hates Yaakov. But therefore, I would think that he did not kiss him with a full heart. So I don't need to have any dots there. I would understand on my own that he didn't kiss him with a full heart. Because Esav hates Yaakov. So obviously, he didn't kiss him with a full heart. Why? I need to have dots for that? So, according to the Rashbi, he says that there is dots there. That tells you that, no, no, normally he hates him and he wouldn't kiss him with a full heart. Therefore, I'm telling you here, he did kiss him with a full heart. So one second. That's exactly the opposite. You're saying now, according to the Rashbi, that the dots are giving you stronger emphasis not to make the word softer in the kiss, that it was not a full, good-hearted kiss. But on the contrary, you're telling me that it was a full-hearted kiss. Well, that's the opposite of the principle. The normal principle is that if there are dots on a word, it makes it softer. But according to the Rashbi, it's making it harder. It's making it more emphasized. That the dots are there that he did kiss him with a full heart here. So why does Rashi bring down that second opinion? In a way that he even starts off saying, and there's these there's different opinions on it as if they're equal. They're not equal at all. One is saying that the dots is making it softer, that it was not a full-hearted kiss. And the other one is saying that it makes it stronger, that it was in this case a full-hearted kiss. And also, Rashi says that he got this from where? From the Sifri, from the Bryce and the Sifri. From that quotes, that, the place Sifri where it has these statements. But we know Rashi's function is not to tell you homiletical insights in different places unless it helps you to understand the literal text, what's going on over here. 
And now he asks another question. Both of these opinions in the word Vayeshakeh, that he gave him a kiss, is brought down also in other commentaries on the Torah. Not just in the book called the Sifri. We have this same story of two opinions in interpreting the word and he gave him a kiss. We have it in the Medrash called Bracious Rabbah. We also have it in the famous books, Mishnah of the Avos, the Rabnasin it's called. Avos, the Rabnasin is like the Pirkei Avos. So that comes from uh, uh, the, the Reb Nassin. He wrote down this, those Mishnahs. They're called Avis the Reb Nassin. There's, uh, I believe, 48 chapters of, of Avis the Reb Nassin. So anyways, over there he speaks, he brings down this idea also about the two opinions. So if Rashi's telling you that I'm getting my opinion from the source where it is in the Sifri, and he doesn't tell you that he's getting it from anywhere else, that means he's trying to teach you something that it's specifically from this place where I'm getting this information from, that you're going to be able to see mind-boggling, unbelievable details here that clarifies the entire picture. If Rashi would get the opinion from the Bracious Rabbah, I could understand why he doesn't want to take it from the Medrash and Bracious Rabbah. Why? Because in the Medrash there, it brings two opinions. And over there, it's in the opinion of a, some, a sage named Rabbi Yanai. And over there, he says that the dots teach you that he did not kiss him with a he did not kiss him at all. He brings there an opinion that he didn't. Jacob Asaph did not kiss Jacob at all. What did he do? He hugged him. He put his mouth to Jacob's neck, and he wanted to bite him and kill him. That's what he. That's what the Medr says there. And a miracle happened and Jacob's neck turned into marble, etc. It doesn't bring down the whole medrash, but it says that Esau's teeth fell out and so on. He tried to give a good bite. He had that moment, man, the man was right right in his hands. He wanted to bite his neck off and kill him. So Rebbe says, the fact that Rashi doesn't bring down that medrash, I understand. You know why? Because it's a medrash. A medrash is the homiletical insights. It's the deeper between the lines, or like some people like to call it, it's the harmony of the Torah. But it's not the literal translation of the stories of the Torah. And the truth is, if you go with that thing where he tried to bite him, then you're not just changing the word, the kiss, that it wasn't a, a kiss, or it wasn't a wholehearted kiss, but it was a bite. In that, if you go like that with that opinion, you're basically erasing the whole word. And he kissed him. You're saying that word is not even the word anymore. So that's why it's clear that Rashi wouldn't want to use that medrash. I get it. Because again, that medrash with the bite, it's interesting, but that's not Rashi's function. Rashi doesn't bring that every single commentary that's out there even if they have sources to their opinion. But if it doesn't fit with the narrative and the simple understanding of the story, it doesn't bring it down. But Rashi could have brought down the other opinion in the Medrash, which is the opinion of somebody named Rav Shimon ben Elazar. He says that we learn from these dots here that mercy arose on him and he did kiss him at this moment with his full heart, which is like the opinion of the Rashbi, which was brought down in the Sifri. And especially... That Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says that these dots 
are always actually not to soften a word, but to make it stronger, the word. That's his opinion. Even though all over the Torah, other, most opinions say that dots means it softens the strength of the word, that it doesn't mean its full meaning. It means, you know, a little bit less. But Rabbi Shimon that Medrash does say that it makes it stronger, which would fit with the Rashbi, because he also says that on the contrary, not that it was a, not such a good kiss, it was a real good kiss. In other words, even though that Rashbi himself says that it's a law, it's a principle rule that Asaph hates him, but you should know in this case that it was... That, that he did give him a full kiss. So Rashi could have said at least that opinion of Shemun which will work also. In addition to that, in the Avis Arab Nasin, in that place, that book called Avis Arab Nasin, over there he does bring down both opinions, and over there he says the words like this. He doesn't use the words that one opinion says he did not kiss him with a whole heart, and the other opinion says he did kiss him with a whole heart. Over there it says a different word. Instead of heart, whole heart or not whole heart, it says... One opinion says he didn't kiss him truthfully. And the other opinion, Shulmalazah says that he did give him a true kiss. He uses the word emes. So you could, Rashi could have technically, yes, brought down some of those other opinions. Why did he stick? Here's basically, if you summarize, these are four questions here. Number one, why did Rashi quote where he got it from? He doesn't even always quote the source where he gets his commentary from. Why did he say from the Sifri? Second of all, why did he introduce this whole commentary by saying that there are various opinions, there's different opinions in how to explain these dots? Number three, why did he even bring down the name of that second opinion, that it was Rabbi Shimon Bayechai that said it? Why is it relevant to know who the name was? Obviously, if Rashi tells you a quote, a, a quote and he tells you the name of who said it, there's something hidden, hinted there in the name. Number four, he brought an introduction to, to the Rashbi's thing. He said the Rashbi says, Halachahi, it's a law, it's a principle rule, that's a knowing rule that Asaph hates Jacob. How does that help me in understanding the literal text of the of of the narrative here? That that it's a law, it's a principle rule that he hated him. Especially at the end, he says at that moment he had mercy on him. So if you say at that moment he had mercy, I already know that he hated him. Usually he hates him. You don't have to tell me that he oh usually he hates him. Here he had mercy. Once you tell me that here he had mercy, I understand that everywhere else he hates. Him. Now, to help really get to the bottom of all of this, of these two opinions, and why it brings down the name and the source and not other sources, the Rebbe goes off a little bit. I'm just going to give us the general idea from these, the next uh, two pages here of what he's going to say. The Rebbe basically says that we could answer the whole concept by saying that according to both opinions, the dots on the word, and he gave him a kiss, does soften the word and he gave him a kiss. The only thing is, in other words, even Rashbi who said that if we hear he had mercy and he did give him a kiss with his whole heart, there's also something about those dots that soften it and not making it stronger. Because he says like this, in the first opinion that says he did not give him a kiss with his whole heart, okay, that's self-understood, that you're softening the word and he gave him a kiss. But even according to the second opinion and he gave him a kiss, you're right, the word kiss is a full kiss. It was a whole heart. But the general concept here 
He's softening. In other words, he's softening the understanding of the general understanding of Esau that he hated him like with no end. It's a law, principle, rule that he hates him. We're softening that. Relax. He does hate him to no end, but a little bit he does have a place of Rachmanus in him. So in a way, you're softening the general story, not on the word, the kiss itself. Rebbe says... If you look at, if you understand it like that, basically you could explain now why both opinions say to have the dots because it's softening the strength of the kiss or at least the concept of the whole narrative here. Number two, the reason why he brings the second opinion of the Rashbi is because according to the first opinion, the dots completely take away the kiss. He said, they say it's not a, a full-hearted kiss at all. So if you say it like that, the dots should have been only on the words kiss, not on the other letters, and he gave him a kiss. You see, in Hebrew, you have vayishakehu. But in Hebrew, every word, every word in Hebrew has what's called a shayrish. It's a root. So if you look at this word, vayishakehu, the vav means and. The end two letters means him. So it's only these three letters, yishak, or Vayishak, and he gave him a kiss, or just kiss, that should have the dots. Why do you need the dots on all the letters? If you want to just soften the idea of the kiss. See, so with this, he, according to the Rashbiya, it makes sense, because he's trying to give you a general outline of the whole story, that let's soften his hatred here, that even though he totally hates him, but here, he had some mercy. So you could rationalize that too. Number three, when Rashi brings, brings it from the Sifri and not from the Avazir of Nassim or elsewhere, it's because he wants, and he brings the, it only in the Sifri, you have the word of the introduction that the Rashbi says, Halachahi, it's a principal rule that Esav hates him. That gives you the general idea of the whole context here, that the dots help you to understand that this is a kiss from who? From an enemy. And therefore, even the enemy gave you gave a kiss. So there's, in other words, we're softening the concept of the general narrative here, not on the word he gave him a kiss, but the general narrative that he's such a hatred, such a hater, such a Jew hater, a Jacob hater, but he still gave him a kiss. Number four, if you look at this way of understanding it, when he brings down the name of the Rashbi, I also could understand. Why do I have to know who the guy is, that, who the sage is that said this quote? Because the Rashbi, interesting, has an opinion in how to interpret words of the Torah. Everybody tries to always understand how sages, you know, interpreted different things in different styles. One of the, the main style of the Rashbi, when he interpreted words of the Torah is, is the way the Talmud puts it is, that Darish Taima Dikra. There's two ways how you could interpret a word or a letter. You could look at that word and say something's wrong with this word. It cannot be that this is what it means. And therefore you try to bring sources to help you to understand what the word really means. Or you could say that one word doesn't bother me so much, but the whole narrative of the story bothers me. In other words, I, I, I need to have a different explanation on that word so the entire verse or chapter will be better understood. The Rashbi's style of learning was is he gave rationale to understanding a word that helped you to understand the whole 
context, what was going on, but not the word itself. Basically, therefore, what it means is here is that these dots are telling you not that the kiss itself was less of a full heart. It's that the whole narrative of the story here that Asaph comes across as such a hater and a killer to Jacob, which that's the story that it says over here. So he's telling you that even though that's who Asaph is, here he gave him a kiss with his full heart. So in other words, by learning it like this, where it's saying is that the softening of the dots is it is softening, but not on the word the kiss. It's on the whole thing. It can't be on the word the kiss itself because Rashbi says it was a full-hearted kiss. So he's saying it's a softening to the whole narrative. The problem with you explaining it like this is the following. Because everywhere else, all other places where there's dots, it tells you that the word itself is softening it. And it's very hard to say that in this Parsha, it means not the word itself is softened, but the whole context here is softened. It's, it doesn't fit well to say that this is an exception to the whole rule. And in addition to that, why does Rashi still have to bring it down from the Sifri specifically and not from everywhere else? And number two, why does he have to have the introduction that it's a known fact that he hated him? It's an obvious fact. Why do you have to tell me how lucky it's a halacha, it's a law, it's a principle rule that he hates him. Why do you have to say that word? Just say it's a knowing fact. Why do you have to say that it's a, a rule? It's different. When you say something's a rule, it's, it's much stronger. And when you say halacha, you're saying this is a Torah principle rule of a fact. And number three, in many, in many printings of the Sifri, the word is that at this moment, Esav transformed himself or transformed his passion of, and he had mercy here. In other words, his passion of killing was transformed. It, it turned upside down. It now was no more of a killing. It was a mercy. But over here, Rashi changes this one word. He uses the word which means that he like warmed up to passion. Why does Rashi change that one word? Not that he turned over to have passion, but he warmed up to have passion. Is there something specific there in that choice of word? Rashi quotes the whole thing from one place, but one word he copies from the Medrash. <laughs> there must be something. Everywhere in a Rashi is exact. So the fact that he chooses to say that at this moment he warmed up to have mercy. It doesn't say he turned over his attitude to mercy. There must be something in that too. So here, the Rebbe comes now and gives us a complete new way of learning this whole business of what Rashi is doing here on this verse. Always until... We get to this place in this sicha. You would always learn it like every normal person that learns Chumash with Rashi would always say, Rashi's bothered why there's dots on the word and Rashi's coming to explain to you these dots. That's the normal way of learning this. But based on all of our questions up until now, there's a lot of difficulties here that we need to be able to explain. So the Rebbe says that actually Rashi is not here to explain you those dots. Wow, how does the Rebbe come to say that? It seemed quite clear. 
Rashi started off saying that the dots on the verse have different opinions and these are the two opinions. The Rebbe says, you know why Rashi's not coming? You know why we know this, that Rashi's not coming to explain you the dots? Because Rashi never explains dots on top of words anywhere else in the Torah. Which means that that's not Rashi's function. Rashi's function is to teach you how to understand the narrative of every word, every verse in the Torah the best as possible. That a simple layer of learning helps you to understand why there's dots and why some words are written fully with an extra letter in it. Some words have less letter in it. That Rashi doesn't explain you those unless, unless, by explaining it, you're now going to understand something that you need to understand in the simple narrative of the, of the context. Otherwise, that's not what Rashi does. Here, Rashi's coming to explain to us a question that we have on the simple narrative of the story here. There's a major question that would bother everybody. If you learned the Chumash, it would start to bother you. What's the, what's the question? How is it possible that Asaf, the, the hater of Jacob, should all of a sudden transform himself to a different person. And not just transform himself, with such love, passionate love, a hug, a kiss. He was ready to kill him. As we quoted, and I brought you a story in the beginning, but even without that story, we know we, we know that. And even here, right here in this chapter, it says, Jacob approaches and he sees the man's there with his 400 people, his, his whole army's there. They're armed to come against him. And we read in the chapter before, Yaakov sent ahead messengers to find out does Asaph still hate me? They came back and they said, He still has that crazy hatred to you. Watch out, Jacob. That's why Jacob spread out all his strategy and how to meet his brother. Because he was super worried. He heard his brother completely hates him like at no end. He has 400 people still here. So how is it possible that a guy that had such a hatred should transform all of a sudden to such a level of love? Like, how does that happen? So Rashi explains to us that when it says he gave him a hug, it's your right, because this was a special moment. Mercy rolled onto him. It just like took him over. This compassion just took him over. Why, says Rashi, because he saw him bowing so many times and Esau lost himself. From hating him by seeing how Jacob bows seven times in front of him, he, all of a sudden, wow, <laughs> I love this man. I'm going to give him a big hug. And there's no even arguments regarding that. It, it's, it's clearly, he's, he, he got that passion of love on him because he sees he bows to him so many times. And nobody argues, only one opinion that says that he gave, at this moment he gave him a hug with a full heart. But when it comes to the next word, and he gave him a kiss, that's now something more going on over here. Not just that he show him I love him, and he gives him a real hug, 
which shows on you know a lot of love. I'm hugging you, but even to the point of having such a, a extra dosage of love that it's not just enough to say I love you. Ah, I'm so happy you're here, right? Or giving you a hug. He even went as far to give him a kiss like every five-year-old kid knows. And Rashi always says, I'm coming here to explain to you the narrative of the Chumash even for a five-year-old kid to understand. And every five-year-old kid understands that more than a hug is a kiss. As you see, children see this from their parents. When the parents give them a hug, it's one level. And when the parents give them a kiss, it's another level. So everybody understands that a kiss on top of a hug is even more. So you could see here that by seeing him bowing and all that, that caused him to transform from one end of his hatred who wants to kill him to such an unbelievable love that even after a hug, he gives him a kiss. So to understand this idea, how is it possible to go from such an extreme ready to kill to go a hug and a kiss? So when it comes to that extent of the kiss to such a high level, this Rashi says, there are dots over here. These dots are not mystical. It's not a mystical interpretation, a medrash, that I need a medrash for these dots. Rashi tells you that these dots is to tell you, like everywhere else, that a word should be taken softer than the literal meaning of the word. That what? There was a kiss, but it wasn't a true kiss. It's to teach you that something here wasn't true. And here Rashi comes and tells you that there's two opinions here. When he gave him a kiss, you could say that this kiss is in two ways you could explain this kiss. Those that say that the dots teach you that he did not kiss him with his whole heart. Even though he hugged him and even though he had passion here of mercy, which led to him to even kiss him. Nevertheless, you should know over here it wasn't a full heart. The second opinion tells you that he warmed up a passion at that moment. Meaning, after he hugged him, at that moment, there was a moment of a full heart here. He turned around. There was like, you know, they say like, like a heated passion here. From emotions. It was such an emotional moment. Asaph had an emotional moment. But remember, stress those words, underline it. Moment. There was an emotional moment to the point that he kissed him full hearted. Why? Because this these dots are telling you that it wasn't full. In other words, it was a full heart. It was a full kiss but only temporary. So what are the dots teaching you here? That there was a full kiss, but it's the stress is, where is it softer? That it was only, it lived only a moment. It was a moment lived, not long term. So did Asaph kiss him with his full heart? Yes. Why are there dots there? To tell you that it was short lived. Asaph got a moment of compassion here. To understand this, even according to the Rashbi, that kissing with his whole heart 
is not with the full truth, and that the dots is to make softer the kiss, Rashi starts off with the introduction of a well-known saying of the Rashbi. It's a halacha, it's a known principle fact. Halacha means, when you say halacha, halacha means something that cannot be changed. That's what it means, halacha. If when you say this is the Jewish law, that means this is the way it is, it cannot be changed. Even a five-year-old kid understands. Even before a little child learns Mishnah and Talmud, he knows when you say halacha, that's it. When do children that are brought up with Torah values struggle? When it's not clear what the law is. When you teach somebody that this is the law, then that's the law. There's, no more, there's nothing more to argue about. So the halacha can change. Says the Rashbi, this is a halacha that the hatred from Esav to Yaakov cannot change. It's an embedded ingrained of this hatred, this Jew hatred. Because it's like a regular halacha. That's why the Rashbi uses that sharp word. He says this is halacha. It's an engraved fact that cannot be changed. Ah, if it cannot be changed, if he has a full hatred to the highest degree, it's a halacha that he hates him. How's it possible that he kissed him? He says, all right. There was a temporary change of heart and he kissed him only short-lived. And it's very interesting because when you say this, it opens up a can of worms. You say to yourself, what's going on over here? Is this halacha? That means it could never be changed. How was it able to be even for a second that the halacha could change? Says the Rebbe, we find this in a few other places in the Torah, that halacha never changed, but halacha was suspended if it was a short-term lived thing. And he brings the example from Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet. There's the famous story, I'm just going to go through it very short, the famous story on Mount Carmel, when there was these idol worshippers, that said that the Baal is the true God, and Eliyahu had to prove that God is the full God. And there was a law those days, not just those days, from when we had the first temple was built, there was a law that nobody's allowed to bring any offerings on an altar unless it's the altar in the temple. Before we had the temples, there was a concept. If you wanted to give an offering to God, you build a couple, Build a pile of rocks in your backyard, make an altar, and bring take a, an animal, and you could slaughter it and give that as a donation to God. But once there was a temple, you weren't allowed to build what's called a bama. You weren't allowed to build a these temporary altars wherever you want in the world. You had to travel to the Mishkan in Shiloh or, or later the base of Mikdash, whatever. There was this was the law. You were not allowed to divert from the law. Yet at that moment when Elijah was dealing with these Goyim who were trying to prove that their God is the real God. So Elijah said, let's make a deal. And they made a, a, a deal that, that they're each going to bring an offering and a fire will come down to heaven and will consume whoever's offering is true. If you say it's your God, let your God bring, bring a fire there. And, my, and I, if I say it's my God, let our God will bring a fire. And there was a whole story that they put it on. To, they made an altar and Elio made his altar. And Elio said, you go first. And they put a person 
underneath the altar, the goyim, the non-Jews put a, 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 non, a, a, a representative hiding underneath the altar, and he was going to light the fire from the bottom to show that, ah, oh, God made a fire and consumed their animal. But sure enough, God sends a miracle and a snake came underneath and bit the guy and killed He died. So they never had a fire even, even to prove it. <laughs> Later they found the man dead there. But that's a different part of the story. But Eliyahu, Elijah did is, he built his altar and a fire came down miraculously and did it. But what's interesting is that it, there was a law, halacha, that you're not allowed to make an altar outside the temple. How was he able to build this bama, this altar? And the answer is that a prophet is allowed to change a law of the Torah if it's short term. If he changes the law and he says, oh, from now on, I'm changing the law. I heard this from God and whatever he comes up with. And he says, this is a new law. It's changing forever. Not allowed to believe this person that he's a true prophet. That's one of the signs if somebody's a true prophet or not if they say right so a prophet could say right now we're in a, you know we're in a difficult time this is the situation so we have to you know i don't know whatever example you want to give but a prophet could do that in this case the example is with with here so the point is the point the Rebbe is only making here is that when you say something's halacha it's a halacha ace of hates yaakov that means it's a known fact that cannot change. He has an absolute hatred to Jacob. But short term, a short lived moment could still come out where that halacha could change short term. We even had another story. He brings a second example in, in the narrative of Jacob and Esau in last week's Parsha. We learned that Jacob was called a complete person. He was a studious boy. He was an honest boy. He never did anything remotely in the world of trickery. But when it came the time that Esau tricked and lied to his father on numerous occasions, why did Esau lie and trick his father so many times? Because he wanted his father to believe that he's a very righteous boy. Right? You remember we learned this thing that uh, Esau is called a pig. from Based on a verse, he, we use the term he's a pig. Because a pig has signs only on the outside. It has split hooves. So the pig puts his hooves and says, Ah, look at me, I'm kosher, I'm kosher. In the inside, he doesn't chew his cud. So that's why we use that term on Esau, you like a pig. When people act like a pig, you say the same thing, you're eating like a pig. Why do you borrow that term? Because on the outside, you're acting like a pig. But in the inside, sorry, you're, on the outside, you're trying to show everybody that you have good mannerisms. But in the inside, you know, you, you're, you're no good. That's like, so Esau tried to trick his father to the point that his father should give him the blessings. So at that point, again, Yaakov had no choice but he had to gum, as the verse says, Ba Achicha Bemirma. Yitzchak told, Isaac told his son Asa, he says, Your brother already came and got the blessings through trickery, through a deceiving way. He didn't use the word through a lying way, but he said through a deceiving way. In other words, even though the characteristic of Jacob is that the verse actually said it in Parsha told us, it said, Ishtam. He was a perfect person. How is it possible that this kid, Jacob, should get something through trickery? Ah, because there's exceptions to the rules. Even though there's a rule that's ongoing, there could be short-term exceptions to the rule. And to the point that it says, Baruch on Jacob. You should be blessed with this. 
And because when it says the word bimirma, so Rashi says, when it says he got it through tricking, he says he got it with wisdom. That's the way he translates the word. The trick means he got it through brilliancy is how he got it. He did a brilliant move and he got it. So the point here is that what we see here is that the Rashbi's way of interp- translating this word, that he gave him a kiss, is only with the introduction, halachahi. It's a grained in rule that Esau hates Jacob and that rule can't be changed. It's halacha. I over here, he gave him a kiss, no problem. I believe he gave me a kiss and he even did it full-heartedly because a short-term exception to a rule could be. Now we can also understand why Rashi does not bring down the words from the Avast of Reb Nassim. Over there, he said, there, and this is amazing, by the way, when you think about these words, it, fall off the chair. It, could, it tells it like this. Lie, in the Medrash, it says, they didn't give, he didn't give a One opinion says he didn't give him a true kiss. The other says he gave him a true kiss. In the Sifri, it doesn't use the word true. It uses the word full heart or not a full heart. Why did Rashi care to use one version where it says full heart or not full heart versus the other place that says full truth or not? Says you know why? Because truth is even higher than when you say halacha. Halacha, as we just stated, is firm and can't, technically can't be changed. But we learned just now, it can't be changed long term, but short term it could be changed. MS is different. MS means it can never get changed. Not even for a short term moment. That's why Rashi chooses to take the words from the Sifri, because there it says full heart or not full heart. Okay, full heart, short term, no problem. But if Rashi would say, gave him a kiss with full truth, then there wouldn't be able to be an understanding of these dots that it softens it. So that's why he doesn't use that thing. That's fascinating. Number two, when Rashi does not bring the word that it, his compassion turned over, Rashi said he was passion warmed up. Because if you say it turned over, that means he now no more a, hate, a hater. But we just said, he's an ingrained hater. He's a halacha that he's a hater. So you could say that he warmed up. No problem. That makes sense. That's, that's authentic to what's going on over here. Number three, Rashi brings down specifically that he took it from the Bryce of the Sifri. Because now I can under bring down the words that it was halacha. Because I understanding these words, those words that Rashbi said it as a halacha that he hates him is something that the Medrash doesn't bring down. And therefore he had to bring down from the Medrash. So from all of this we understand the answers to our questions. And now we understand that according to both opinions, the dots on top make it less. According to the first opinion, less means he didn't give him a full kiss. He did not give him a full-hearted kiss. According to the second opinion is, he did give him a full-hearted kiss. But it was a short-term live. That's what the dots teach you. The Rebbe says, we have one more question here. According to the simple understanding of the narrative here, that he gave him a full-hearted kiss, on the contrary, since the Rebbe says, it's a halacha that he hates him, 
he could have just said that he didn't give him a full-hearted kiss if he hates him. The answer is because when you look at the, you have to look at the whole parsha here. Look at the whole story, what's going on over here. In the whole continuation of the story, after he gives him a hug and a kiss, Asaph was still in a very emotional, emotional state. As the verse continues and says, after the kiss, it says he cried. That's clearly an indication that he had an amazing emotional heart feeling here. We even find this further, because right after this piece of the story, um, Asaph says to him, well, well, all the, who's all these, these animals, and you have such a wealth over here, right, and all that. He's very amazed. He says, you know, I want to live with you. Let's go live together on Mount Seir. And Jacob says to him, brother, <laughs> I love you. You go ahead. I'll catch up to you. <laughs> Jacob's still a little bit, you know, nervous to sleep with this guy, you know, in the same, in the same place. So he tells Asaph, you go ahead, my animals, the feet, you know, are not so, they don't walk so quick, my animals, and I have a lot here, I have four wives and so many kids, and, and, and it's, I'm a big load over here. Asaph, you travel ahead. And Asaph says to him, brother, if you want, no problem. He says, if you need any of my help, my servants, my people, I'll be happy to give you some help. Wow. So if you look at the story, he's still showing kindness to his brother. And in the simple narrative, it's hard to understand what just happened. This is the ace of what just happened. You're the guy that wanted to kill him. Now you're talking like this whole language here. Therefore, the Rashbi says, even though I could say, yes, he didn't give him a full hearted kiss. But because there was so much love expressed here by ace of in the next little narrative of the verses here, but it was all short-term lived. So he says, yes, he was nice to him. At that moment, he was good. But after that, no good. By the way, if you want to take something so crazy from all the dozens of videos coming out, from all the hostages coming out, so one of the first people that came out was this old lady, that Holocaust survivor. And I think she like holds the hand of this Hamas guy or like or makes a night a warm gesture to him when when she leaves. And the reporters jumped on that and asked her, These people were so cruel to you. They deprived you from so much food, medicine, everything. How was it possible for you to be so nice to them on the way out? And she said, They were kind to me on my way out. Think about just that one line, you know? They were kind to what? These people, these monsters, they were kind to him. But this is something of, of you know, we, we, we showing you that this is also here in this story here. That, and that's why the Rashbi says, I know firsthand these guys, halacha, it's a fact that the Esav people hate Jacob. But here, there was a moment. It was short-lived, but there was a moment here. Now we understand why both opinions are actually not really fighting both of these opinions that Rashi is bringing down both help you to understand the literal meanings here, what's going on. Because according to both opinions, according to the first opinion, that he did not give him a kiss with his full heart. Well, it's very difficult to understand the general narrative. It seems like he was so nice to him and so compassionate to him. So it seems like it was with a full heart. According to the Rush B, it's not understood. How could it be he gave him a full kiss with a full heart when before he had such a full hatred to him? Therefore, both of these opinions are not really arguing. They're just both of them helping to, us to understand the broader story here. Now says the Rebbe that if you have a, a sharp student, 
they may still ask the following question. <laughs> That's always the best. The Rebbe pulls out, you know, a, 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 it's called like a sharp student could come. You, you got to be ready for his questions. A, a sharp student could say at the end of the day, since the Rashbi stresses the hatred of Esav to Yaakov to the point where he says it's a halacha that he hates him. How is it possible that he should be the one to say that he had a moment here where he gave him a kiss at full heart? Rashbi, you're the one that said such a wild, extre- seems seeming like, right? An extreme statement that this is a law, that hatred is embedded there, ain't gonna change. You're the guy that's now telling me that he gave him a kiss in the full heart? Like, doesn't make sense for this sage to be the one to say he gave him a full kiss. So Eber says, it's hinted to by knowing the name of who this author is. Who was the Rashbi? Okay, I told you before I lived in the Roman times, but let's get more into this. The Rashbi lived in the times of the exile, the Roman exile. The Roman exile is called Gullus Edom. Okay, that's what it's called, Gullus Edom. The sages tell us that that's one of the worst exiles that the Jews ever had. It's called the exile of Edom. As a matter of fact, we know that the the age of the Romans, first of all, the Romans are the one that destroyed the temple. And they brought their ideologies against the temple, against Judaism, to the entire Western nations that branched out from the Roman Empire. So we call it the exile of Edom. And there were very harsh decrees placed on the Jews and on him himself too. To the point that the Romans wanted to kill the Rashbi. They were so mad of statements that he said against their government. And the Rashbi had to hide in a cave for 13 years. That's actually where he wrote the Zohar, by the way. 13 years he hid in a cave. He said such harsh, wild statements against the Romans. They wanted to kill him for that. They couldn't find him. After 13 years, somebody came and told him the emperor died, and the rule then was, if the emperor dies, all his decrees go off, so he was able to come out. But nevertheless, we find in the Talmud a fascinating story. I'm only going to tell you a little bit of this now. Maybe after the class, I'll tell you the whole story. It's a lengthy story, but this is the piece that the Rebbe takes out of the story that's relevant to us here. When the Jews needed to go to Rome to nullify a certain decree on the Jewish people, who did they pick to go? Which one of the Jewish sages was chosen to go to Rome to speak to the emperor? None other than the Rashbi. Why? Because they said, you're a malumad benissim. Means miracles always happen around you. So we're sending, we want to send you. In other words, not, not looking at the fact that he had such a hatred sorry that, that the government had such a hatred to the Jews and to him specifically he was able to affect through this amazing miracle with this demon the whole story to the point that the emperor said to him wow he said to you anything you ask me to do I'm going to fulfill what you want me to do and he nullified the decree so too, we learn. He learns here, the Rashbi, the same too with Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov 
was a malumad benissim. He lived a life full of miracles. He survived miracles all the time. If you're a person that you survive many miracles, you know you're on that track. That's the way you're going to be. They knew Yaakov was a person embedded with miracles. He was able to affect an Esav moment of compassion that he should kiss him with his full heart. Think about that ability. Just like the Rashbi, who the government had such a hatred to him, he was able to affect in them, in the most hatred people, moments of compassion that they said, whatever you want to do, we're going to do. So too, Yaakov was able to affect this on Esav. And this fits with a deeper Hasidic insight here to what's going on over here. In the Zohar, it tells us like this, that, and then the Talmud brings it down actually, that Rashbi, for the 13 years in the cave, he was with his son, Reb Shimon. Sorry, Reb Shimon was with his son, Reb Elazar. When they came out of the cave, those two, Rabbi Eliezer couldn't stand it. Wherever he went, he saw Jews. They were farming. They were working lands. And his son said, this is crazy. And with his eyes, he was able to stare at these fields and destroy them all. Reb Shimon looked at them and said, this is no good. We didn't come out of the cave to destroy the world. So Reb Shimon, with his eyes, he would heal the situation. In other words, Reb Shimon, even though he had the attitude that the main thing a person's life has to be is learning Torah, nothing else is important. You don't have to spend time on food, you don't have to spend time on sleep, you don't have to spend time on nothing. It's only Torah should be your compassion. But we all know, the Talmud tells us, many people tried to live like them and weren't able to live like that. They starved to death. They, 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 you can't live just a spiritual life. You have to be in this world and work your fields and farm them and do what it takes to make money, to be able to get, have food on your table. That's the way the world Hashem made. For a very few select, selected people, Rebbe Lazar, his father Rashbi, they had him, went into a cave, a miracle happened, a water a stream came next to them, a carob tree grew, so they were able to live for 13 years like that. But that's not a, that's not a normal, the average way of people living. So because of Rashbi and his colleagues, they were able, whatever Rebel Azar looked at and got destroyed, they were able to their ways to heal it. They were able to heal the world. So too we say about the Rashbi. Rashbi said once, he said, even though this world that I live in now is not a good world. In other words, if we took this world to judgment, we would see there's a lot of corruption. Nevertheless, he said, with my ability and my relationship with Hashem, I could exempt the entire world from being judged by God like you know, during the times of the flood. I could do that. In other words, he didn't have to bring destruction to the world. He didn't even have to make the world do tshuva. The world, the way it was, was able to be exempted. So in a certain way, this is actually a bigger accomplishment. Without even transforming the world, he was able to elevate the situation that the world does not have to be dispaired, does not have to be destroyed, and it could go on. Here the Rashbi says that godliness could reach to a place and the way it is in its place, it could have a moments of compassion. So to in our case, the effect of Yaakov on Esav wasn't, it was not the situation where Esav transformed and became a, a Balchuba. That's not what happened. Esav being Esav. As the Rashbi says, it's a principal rule that he hates. 
Nevertheless, he was able to affect him to have an awakening moment of mercy. And here we have a lesson for all generations in the exile of this Edom, Edomite exile that we're still in today, in both angles. On one hand, do not rely on the Gentile governments, on the kingdom of Edom. Why not rely on them? Because it's a halacha. It's a principal rule that Esav hates Yaakov. So don't rely on anybody if they're not yours, if they're not, if they're not Yaakov's. Don't rely on them that they are there to back your back. But on the other hand, a Jew has the strength to affect in Esav. That even Esav, the way they are, even if they're not transformed, the way an Esav is, you have the power to warm them up that they should have a compassion with full heart, as we saw that Yaakov affected Esav. To the point that these Esavs will even have such compassion to help the Jews, to affect positive things for the Jews and whatever they need. How do you accomplish this? This comes through this following method. When a Jew stands firm in your ways of the Torah and the mitzvahs, even in the times of exile, you're not affected by your surroundings of the Goyim or the Goyish Kite, meaning the, the, you know, the non-Jewish atmosphere around you, and you let it be known to the Esav, and you tell them what Yaakov told Esav. Yaakov told Esav, I lived with Uncle Lavan, the wicked, the idol worshiper Lavan. But I want you to know, I lived with him and I still observed all the 613 commandments. Even though I was living in the worst Goyish land and in the house I lived, they were worshiping idols. I still stayed loyal to Hashem. So if we could do that, we could still affect by people that don't see it like this. And maybe inside their heart, they're deep inside, they could be, as the rule is, halacha, that Esav hates Yaakov. You could still create a compassion and mercy there. And through this, it will be fulfilled what we're going to read in the Haftorah. We're going to read in the Haftorah what's called the vision of Ovadia. Over there it says, so did God say to the Edomites, And it finishes that that we're going to go up for salvation to Mount Zion, to Israel, to Jerusalem, and from there God will judge the mount of the mountain of Esav. In other words, we're going to reach to the days of Mashiach, where even Esav will declare that God is the one who rules the world, and this was already told to us in our parsha as an outcome. From and he kissed him. That Yaakov took it and he said, you go ahead, I will be coming to you. I'll catch up to you. I'll get to you. Which is in the days of Moshiach, when it says, the we're going to go up and I'll catch up to you. And may this be, Bikar of Mamish, speedily, with the full redemption, with the coming of Moshiach. And may this be now, speedily, in our times. Yashikoach to 